you, uh, some of you may say, well, I, I would sing, but I just don't know those songs. Well, we have uh, YouTube, we have Spotify, we have all the music platforms, and uh, starting this past week, uh, our praise team, uh, along with uh, Stephen uh, that does our social media stuff right now, they're now posting our, the, our songs that we are singing during uh, praise and worship time. And uh, they should be posted somewhere usually uh, by Thursday afternoon. And you'll be able to go on Facebook, Instagram, some of those uh, platforms, and be able to see those songs. And then you can look at me and say, I don't know that song. And you'll be able to uh, look it up, hear it, and it just... It'll bless you, number one. Number two, it'll prepare you to come in and bless others as we join our voices together. And I'm so thankful. Uh, I, I don't know about all of you. But I have a lot of contact with the people on this stage every week. And it's like revival happening up here. On Wednesday night, during rehearsals and during the week, uh, the texting back and forth, the excitement. Uh, I had several of them come to me after Wednesday night and says, uh, you better be ready Sunday morning because we are and uh, God is really speaking through us and we can't wait uh, to be here. When a pastor has the musicians and those who sing and play say, I can't wait for worship Sunday morning, uh, boy, it ignites a fire in me and it holds me accountable and I'm thankful for every single one of them. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're winding down uh, our theme uh, series uh, of forward, going forward. We go back to that verse where G, uh, God tells Moses to tell the people at the brink of uh, the Red Sea coming out of bondage, going toward the promised land. He starts by saying, be still. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And once he begin, they begin to see God providing an opportunity. Now get this. They were to be still and see it, but they were to take action to embrace it. They could have stood right where they're at, not moved and said, it's all a trick. If I go in there, the water's going to close down. It's an illusion. It's not really there. All they had to do is trust the Lord. And as they trusted the Lord, they went across on dry ground. And of course, because of their own sin, they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. But did they or did they not make it to the promised land? Was it because of them? It was because of the Lord, what we have heard this morning. When I was so challenged by the words this morning, to get my eyes off the world and get my eyes on the Lord, he said... Once you see the salvation of the Lord, he said, now Moses, tell them, go forward. How many of us have seen God do great and mighty things in our life, and yet we remain firmly planted in our past? We, we remain firmly planted in our own desires. We're winding this down. Lord's willing, next week will be Mother's Day, and we'll look at their focus on the family group, the family dynamic as they prepare to go into the promised land. And then uh, we will look 
how things change as they enter that great land. This morning, as we look in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you know, we're faced with choices every day, aren't we? What are we going to wear to church? What are we going to wear to school? What are we going to eat for lunch? Where am I going to go to college? We have high school seniors here today, and most, if not all, have already made their choice. But it was astounding to me when my children went at the middle of the first year, how many had already left at, after the first semester, either making their own decision at the start or then making their own decision and leave. But every day that lies before us is decisions to be made, our desires. Where are we going to go on vacation? What are we going to do? Are we going to serve in Bible school? What kind of vehicle am I going to drive? What kind of house will I live in? I want you to understand something with me today. Do you realize, do you really realize someone will be asked to provide a summation of your life in 30 minutes or less at your funeral? Thirty minutes to describe who you are and how you lived. And so to cr try to cram it in, your obituary will probably be no more for the average than about four to five paragraphs to describe your life. Well, I want to tell you, there was a time in my life that if I would have met God, the pastor would have really had a rough time to stand over me and to describe any good decisions that I'd made. You see, my decisions had always been about Matt, what Matt wanted in life, what Matt wanted to do, what was enjoyable to Matt, not what was important to God, not what was important and in obedience to his parents. What did Matt want? Well, today... I want to preach on choose wisely. Some of you are sitting here today with choices that are hanging out there. And I, I remember when I had applied to the doctoral program, they said, oh, that's great. We, we'd love to have you, but you've got to go take this test to be able to get into the program. I said, okay, another test. They said, well, this one's a little different. It's called the MAT. And I said, MAT, we'll add another T and it'll be perfect. You'll get that later. I can assure you, Matt, Matthew, in the original language means a gift of God. Well, the MAT is no gift of God. And it's called the Miller's Analogies Test. Anybody ever take a Miller's Analogies Test? Y'all know what I'm talking about. So I go and buy me one of those Kaplan books about this thick on how to study for the Miller's Analogies Test. And thank goodness I picked the right study book because the very first paragraph it said, if you're reading this, basically it says, God have mercy on your soul. And it says, what you've got to do before you go any further is do not take it too seriously. You see, every single question will be an analogy. This is to this as this is to that. Or this is not like this, like this is not like that. 
And there's four answers to every single question. And this is what helped me in taking the test. I said, first of all, I said, what, what score do I need? Well, you just need to do well. What's the score? Well, there's not really a score. It's a sliding. I said, there was no target to hit. No one could tell me what I need to make or what I made or how I made it. All I knew was when I walked into Georgia State University, they put me in a cubicle about smaller than this pulpit with a computer screen that says, you've got 150 questions, you've got 50 minutes. That means three questions per minute, and they had to tell me that because I don't do math very well, but they said, if you don't know, immediately skip. Don't stop, don't think. If you know it, it comes to you, answer it, move on. And then you'll go back and it'll start over during that time frame. So I took it. Well, in the study guide, it says what you need to understand is there's basically four schools that you look at every question. And you've got basically 20 seconds to look at it, go through these four different things, and evaluate is it A is to B as C is to D, or A is to B as C is to D, or A is to D as B is to C, or is it in the negative, as it is not like this? I'm like, oh my gosh. I tell you all that to tell you this. In real life, where the rubber meets the road, when all else fails, when it's just you and God, and you are drawing your last breath, it will come down to A or B. It's either God or it's not. Look in Deuteronomy 30. Y'all with me so far? Okay. Chapter 30, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God, God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. I want to stop right there and look that he says, when you come to a point in your life where you've got to make a choice between blessing and curse. First of all, we see in verse 1, he said, remember. He said, when it comes to pass, when all these things come upon you, remember. Remember the difference. So what do we remember? Well, they had 40 years to go back and remember. Some, many more, who had been faithful. Je you know, Joshua and Caleb had been faithful. Older women who could look back and remember what it was like. In Egypt, many of the younger people, they could remember how God had provided through manna and through quail, how the water had come out of the rock, how God had given victory over the enemies throughout the wilderness. It all comes down to this, church. You know, it's, it's just like, Tommy, it's like buying a vehicle. You know, bottom line it. I don't, don't give me all the flood. It's like sitting down with an attorney at a closing and the, the paperwork's this thick. I'm like, just cut through the chase. What do I owe? What can I get it for? You know, we all want a bottom line. We want to bottom line it for you today. It all comes down to this. Number one, your choice A is God. 
And what does God equal? He said, when you see before you blessing and curse. You see, God is about blessing. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your father and you will be my children. I will guide you. I will provide for you. I will be your God because whether you accept me as God or not, I'm still God. And so blessing, we think blessings is how many zeros are on our paycheck. What we can do, and listen, I understand all that. And it is not against God's holiness or righteousness if God has blessed you financially if you're obedient with it. He didn't say it was impossible that no rich people will make it to heaven. He just said it was going to be hard. Because it's so easy to get our attention on the things of the world. With God, there's blessing, but we always think in materialistic blessings. Oh, God's blessed me. I got a new truck. I'm feeling great. Everything's wonderful. My kids hit the home run, and they're the valedictorian, and they're making a gazillion dollars, and I just got a new boat. And we've got a vacation home and we're going to Europe and all of this. And we say, oh man, hadn't God blessed us? I challenge you to go on a mission trip. Go to a country that doesn't have what we have. And their whole realm of hopes and blessings look totally different than ours. And they, they sit down to a table with hot, Black beans, some rice, and a tortilla. And you know what they do? Believers will pray and thank God for his blessings. They didn't, pull, they didn't even pull up not only in a new vehicle, they, didn't, they don't own a vehicle. We'll never own a vehicle. They walk everywhere they go. They work harder than we could ever imagine. And yet they are blessed. People in nursing homes, people in hospitals who are praising God for what he has done. And they've never had the things the world says will bless you. Because you see, blessings are not about materials. Blessings is about being who God has called you to be. It's God which equals blessing. And what is that? Good, right, life. That's A. Or it's B. Satan, which equals cursed. I watched a, a thing before of uh, the funeral of Charles Manson. He, had a, he has a living grandson who had to decide what to do. And, and it goes through a two-hour documentary of him being torn between knowing who his grandfather was, but yet respecting his position as being his grandfather and being family because he had no other family. And it was such, it was heart-wrenching to watch him both ways and being torn from one side to another. Those who were still supporters, one even said, I don't believe Charlie's dead. I believe he's just in some other realm, and he's going to be more powerful than he's ever been. I've got news for you. 
Charlie was dead when he died and will die forevermore because he made his choice. He said, not God, Satan. With God, there's blessings. With Satan, there's curse. With God, there is right. With Satan, there is wrong. With God, there is good. With Satan, there is bad. With God, there's always life. A church that is dead has no presence of God in it. We should always have the testimony of a church alive for Jesus Christ. Because wherever Satan is, there's death. He lives a trail of tears and brokenness everywhere we go. You know the Bible tells us in Luke 16, 13, you can't have it both ways, church. You cannot serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other or vice versa. And he ends that verse in the King James that you can't love God and mammon or the things, the materialistic things of the world. You've got to make a choice. What's it going to be? You know, some of the great, one of the greatest things you could do is probably give away or sell or donate or burn something in your life that you thought was going to bring you the greatest blessing, but it's brought a curse on your life. It's your choice. He tells us very vividly clear. It comes down to that. God or Satan. Blessing or curse. Good or bad. Right or wrong. Life or death. But he tells us in verse 3 to remember. So they were to go back and remember. Do you remember anything God's ever done in your life? I do. As they sang and and, and I was challenged to get my eyes off the things of the world. Because this morning, we're trying to get ready. I don't know how y'all's house is on Sunday morning. But sometimes Sunday morning is not the most pleasant time at the Brady household. And yesterday afternoon, quiet, nice Saturday afternoon. Beautiful Saturday afternoon, wasn't it? I'm in my study, and I'm studying, and I'm just looking over and like to have a quiet spirit on Saturday afternoon. And I hear Becky scream, but not in a fear scream, but in a oh my goodness scream. What in the world? I'm like, what is going on? I, she said, both dogs have been in a mud hole somewhere. She said, and I'm not talking about they've got some on them. Some, she's there's no mud left in that hole. And I look, and both of my dogs are standing there at the door trying to get in, and it's just smudged. And all you can see is it's caked on. They look like two little hogs at the door. You could not, she said, look, you can't even see their collars. They were so nasty. I spent the next two hours spraying them down in the yard, putting them in the tub, washing them, cleaning them up, Got them all clean, got them all ready, made them smell good, all that kind of stuff. Got up this morning, getting ready, trying to fix my little cow lick on the back of my head. Every Sunday morning, I'm like, Becky, is my hair standing up? She said, well, lean down. So we're getting ready, and she goes out, and I'm finishing doing something. I'm putting my computer in my bag, and I hear the same 
screamed. I'm like, oh no. They've been back in the mud. Well, now we're getting ready for church. We've got to go. We've got Sunday closed on. What are we going to do? And then it was just all out something. I don't know what it was. And we were able to corral one into one kennel, one into another kennel. There were choices to be made. Will I let my spirit become distracted from what matters more than anything? You know when your coffee maker won't work? Or when you're out of coffee and you didn't realize it? When when something happens and you weren't prepared for it? Well, we've got to go back and remember the good days. Remember how God has blessed me Monday through Saturday and not let two dogs that have no soul, great dogs, unbelievable one especially, I mean, just great, great dogs, and we love our dogs, but they don't have soul and they don't have eternal value in the sense of Jesus dying for them. They're not going to have an eternal significance except for how I treat them and how I respond when something happens with them. And is that going to be the focus of my Sunday or is Jesus? You see, the trip of life is very uncertain. Look in verse 3. The Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. Man, they've been through it, hadn't they? Have you ever looked at the map of them leaving Egypt and where they went into the promised land and their trek for 40 years? It's just up and down and around, and it's a spaghetti. It looks like hurricane season in Georgia. That's what it looks like. All the spaghetti maps, and it's just all hooks and circles and figure eights, and they've went all these ways. Why? Because they continued to choose self over God. He says his way is straight and narrow. But listen, there's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be issues in our life. He said when he brings you back, he said, and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest part under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Listen to me. The trip of life is uncertain. You may feel like you're on the farthest side of the world, that God is not within a million miles. He knows where you're at. He knows how you got there. Listen, even though the trip may be uncertain, the end is not The end of life is not uncertain. We know it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You'll either stand before the judgment seat of Christ or the white throne judgment of God. You'll either die saved and live forever or you will live it up in this world and die lost and die forever. But make no mistake about it. God is in control. No matter where they went, God was in control. No matter what they did, God was in control. In 1948, after one of the greatest human disasters that man created in and of himself, World War II, where millions upon millions of Jews died in 1948, 
the remnant scattered throughout the globe began to return to Palestine. And in 1948, Israel declared their independence once again. They have been come against by every Muslim nation. They were attacked in 1967. And this little bitty country that had an army smaller than the Georgia National Guard defeated Jordan, uh, Egypt, and Syria all on their own. God had not forgotten them. You see, God is in control. He said, I will have compassion on you and bring you from the farthest reaches of the world back to your family where your forefathers have led you. Some of you here today, you know in your spirit, you're still coming to church week after week, day after day, you're listening online, but you know you're a million miles from where God wants you to be. Today is the day that you relinquish your authority and say, I have no authority. God is in control of my life. Return me to the center of your calling for my life. Because you see, you're free to choose. You're free to choose. Today you can get up and walk out like you do every other week. But I want to assure you, you are not free from the consequence of your choice. God is holy. He says in the New Testament, be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For to what you sow, that shall you also reap. Can I tell you from experience? Do not sow in fields that you do not want to reap. You sow into the things of the flesh and the world, that's what you're going to reap. He said you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. When all you do is complain and nag and, and just are, are negative about everything, don't be surprised when everybody around you becomes negative and resentful toward you. God is holy. God is just. But then notice the big if. When it comes to this question, A or B, God or Satan, good or bad, life or death, he said in verse 10, if you obey, if, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in the book of the law and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul then he goes into the full ramifications of God's blessings on their lives. He starts it, though, with this question. If. If. If what? If you obey the voice of the Lord. What does that look like? What does the voice of the Lord look, you say, what, look like? It's a voice. He tells the seven churches in Revelation, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Are we hearing what God wants to tell us? Do we see God speaking in our life? God displays it through his word. God displays it through his work. Everything declares his glory. So that in Romans 1 he says man is without excuse. I love springtime, don't you? 
Everything that has looked dead and gray becomes bright and brilliant, teeming with life. To hear the birds singing and the animals running and the leaves so green. The flowers blooming. It's just beautiful. My grandmother left me and instilled in me a, 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 just a, a love for fresh flowers. That's God. That's God's paintbrush. Man didn't invent that. You know, we can come up with all kinds of, uh, of colors in, the, in our color wheel of life, but no one can paint it like God can. The anti-God, pro-science, anti-spirit, self-loving, indulgent world has hijacked the rainbow. But make no mistake, it is painted with the colors of this world, but the rainbow of God is painted in the sky for all to see. And it's most vividly clear. We're taught to listen to obey. That's what the if said. We need to listen to obey. That's what the Shema, and I'll deal with that in a minute. God says, not just, yeah, 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 I hear you, I hear you. We've all said that. We've said it to our parents. We've said it to our kids. We've said it to our spouses. We've said it to our bosses. Yeah, 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 I hear what you're saying. Blah, blah, blah. But what he says is, my my dad and others said, hey, son, stand and look at me. Listen what I've got. When my dad said, listen what I've got to say, that meant you better hear not with just your ears. You better hear with your heart. and You better get things right. How much more should we be listening to learn what God wants to say in our life? Any of you got any questions about your future? I do. I do. What's tomorrow going to look like? What's next week? What's next month? As Philip said, you know, we make, we make appointments. Sometimes we fail and we don't remember. But you know, sometimes we make those appointments, but life happens and things happen to where we are prevented providentially from making those assignments. We have no idea what the future holds. But bless God, if we listen to learn, then no matter what we face, we face it knowing who holds the future. Can I tell you some advice I was given by a dear friend of mine in regards to children? He said, you know, the greatest freedom I've ever experienced as a parent was the moment I prayed, God, your will will always be better than mine. May your will be done in my children's life. Now think about that. You know why we don't want to do that? Because we're afraid of losing control. You don't have any control anyway. When those red taillights go outside of you, there ain't nothing you can do. You know, you can say, I'm going to drive safer than everyone else, and an accident still happened. You can live healthier than anyone else and still fall over with a heart attack. Listen to learn because the days of man are short. We need to learn to obey. When we listen to learn, we learn who God is, we learn who we are, we learn 
that there is a heaven to gain, a hell to shun, there is a life in Christ, and there is a death that we do not want to be a part of. We learn that. Well, in learning that, we learn to obey God out of a labor of love because He loves us first. Are we learning to obey Him? I'm going to tell you something, adults. We ought to not be getting further away from God because we've gotten more of the world, but we ought to be getting closer to Him because the less of the world we want. When Charles Manson died, they put him in a regular wood casket. And those followers shoved all kind of trinkets and they're holding up waving feathers and they're putting all kind of different flags and all kind of stuff all over. And his grandson's just standing over there like, yeah, uh, he was, you could just see he was completely dazed and confused. He had no idea whether to stop him, whether to lie. He, he had no idea. And it was, that was all the identity left. He had nothing. He had nothing but his identity. And he died lost and separated from the, and you say, there's no way you can judge. Oh, yes, there is. God's word tells me that I can tell a tree by the fruit it bears. And he bore nothing but satanic evil his entire existence. One day, if you live to be 104, your family members may shove pictures and trinkets and doodads, they may bury you with a fishing pole in your hand or a stack of $100 bills, which none of, you, none of your family loves you that much. You realize that, right? Some of them are like that prodigal we sung about, the, the prodigal when he was still a prodigal. You know, when he said, give me my inheritance, you know what he's telling his daddy? Die. Because that's how you get an inheritance. He was literally looking at his father and saying, I wish you were dead. Church, we've got to learn to obey God because that's where life, and then in, in doing so, we live in his love. There is no more greater joy than to reside in the center of the love of God. Just to be able to sit down and say, you know, God loves me. To enjoy the things, being on a bass boat or in a deer stand or on vacation, sitting on the balcony, drinking a cup of coffee as the sun rises over the, over the beach and to look at the beauty of nature and say, that God loves me. He knows me by name. He cares about me. Y'all, I mean, we get that, right? The more we get that, the more that love. Listen, God can't love us anymore, and he's already loved us. You realize that, right? You don't ever get down and say, God, I want you to love me more. Listen, God loves you as much as he's ever going to love you, ever will, ever has, because he sent his only begotten son for you. How much of that love are you willing to dive into? It's based on our listening, our learning, and living in his love. Because I want you to understand something. There are no excuses. Look in verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. Listen, the choice is not mysterious. God is not going to be vague. So I just don't know what God's will is. 
Or go back, listen, if you don't understand the second part, go back to the first part and repeat. What is the first part? Are you listening to what God is trying to tell you? Get rid of the noise. Get separated. Get your heart and mind focused in His Word to speak to you. Stop looking for Him to write it in the clouds. He may simply go and tell you if you'll open your Bible. This is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Put your nose in it. Put your knees on the ground. And put your eyes looking up and say, God... Speak to me, and I can promise you, God's not going to toy with you. He's not going to be vague. When Elijah prayed for Mount Carmel, did he send just little bits of this and little bits of that? No, God rained fire down. There was no mistaking whose God was Elijah's and who the Baal prophets followed. Listen, the choice is not unreachable. He said, it's not separated by the ocean. It's not separated by the sky. It's not separated by any of these things. But he said in verse 14, the word is very near you. In your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. God will be near to those that will draw close to him. He's here. Remember that song, he is here. Hallelujah, he is here. Amen. You can touch him if you come in Jesus' name. We must see God for who he is. And then I want you to notice, as we look at the ifs, we realize there, there can be no excuse. And we, we remember what We've been through, we remember how God has shown us and protected us, God has delivered us, but maybe you're lost here today. Maybe you have never truly put your faith and hope and trust in Him. You've believed about God, but you've never trusted Him as your Lord and Savior through the blood of His Son. You need to understand something. There will be no excuses, so choose wisely. Choose Wisely, he said in verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Today, church, not, ah, oh, I've just got a lot to do. And, you know, we get over, it's almost 12. How much would 15 minutes matter if you saw eternity for how long it is? To make your choice today. Because this may be the last opportunity. Are you really, you say it with your head, but are you saying it with your heart? Do you realize this could be the last opportunity you have? Choose today. It's set before you today. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But for that everybody's going to end up in heaven crowd, that all roads lead to one, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve him, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which 
You cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I have called heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. How do we do it? We do it by loving the Lord. We've talked about that. But when we choose the Lord, we live because of him. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is called the Shema. The Shema is the spiritual uh, melting down, if you will. It is set aside according to God's word. It says to write it upon your arms and upon the doorpost of your heart. To always have it upon, on your head, your word uh, in our minds. Uh, an Orthodox Jew, there's this little bitty box and it is printed, Deuteronomy Chapter 6 is printed on that inside that box that they will wear strapped around their head. You'll see younger Orthodox Jews who have these bands strapped around their arms. It is written on there. It is in a box nailed to the doorpost inside of their homes. The Shema. What does the Shema say? He says, here, listen, hear, O Israel. The word in Hebrew, hear, in this text, literally means listen to obey. This is the great command. It's what Jesus melts down in Matthew 22 that's on our side. It's on our letterhead. It's on everything about east side. To love God and love others. Well, how are we to love the Lord? You see, this whole thing is kept like by Orthodox Jews in a ceremonial way, but are we doing it the right way? Roy Zook, that great commentator, wrote that the Shema, listen to this, the Shema defines who the sovereign is and reduces, not in a negative sense, reduces, melts down the obligation to him to one of exclusive love and obedience. It is the very center of what God requires of men. So much so that all other biblical revelation is actually a commentary on it. Do you know what the Shema is? It is the melting down. It is the purity of the ten words of God, the ten commandments. It's all about Loving God. If we love God truly with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our energy, that means every beat of our heart, with every desire of our soul, with every ounce of our energy, listen, we will live in the freedom that is Christ. Choose wisely. We've got to love His ways. Here in this text when He said to follow His ways that literally means course of life. I want to ask you, what is the Lord's will for your life? Nobody else can tell you that. Well, I think I want to do it. Now, I don't, care what, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want. What is God's will for your life? That's the big question today. We know it's God's will that you not perish. We know that God's will is always perfect. Are you willing today to pray and to make an, a, a, an act of faith coming to this altar in just a moment and saying, God, I want my will swallowed up in yours because I love your ways. The course for my life, I want to live for him. And then choose 
If we're going to choose wisely, it cannot be about later on. It can't be about next year, next month. It must be that we choose today. We choose today. I'm going to read this as they come. In Joshua chapter 24, you all know what it says. This hangs on our walls. He said in Joshua chapter 24, as they have crossed over and man, they're excited, but they've gotten their eyes off the things of God and put their eyes on their selves. He said, therefore, fear God, serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, we'll choose you this day whom you will serve. That's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Choose wisely. Will you choose to put something off that needs not being put off? Will you choose sin for a season? Or will you choose a life worth living? Life and death, blessing and curse, good and bad. Choose life. Stand and come. Choose Jesus today. Come to Jesus. <laughs>